Hey, everybody, and welcome to the American Citizens Podcast. My name is Gray. I am joined again by Josh for the first time since the actual season started. Hello, Josh. Hello, Gray. Um, uh, we did. I was. I was with John for the uh, sort of preseason wrap-up party. Um, but we have had an actual, well, two actual games now, haven't we? Um, obviously, the Chelsea win which already feels like it happened a month ago to me. And last weekend, the defeat, the 2-0 defeat of the Arson Vengerless Arsenal. Um, so what we're going to do today, we're going to spend the first half of the podcast talking about that and talking briefly about the Huddersfield game. The second half of this podcast um, will be focused on what we both have seen so far of the new Amazon all-or-nothing Manchester City series. Um... We will warn you at that point, if you don't want spoilers, we will be talking about the first two episodes at length. So if you don't want to hear about that, um, we will tell you when we're transitioning into it, so you can just call it a day on the podcast. Listen once you've watched it. Um, But we're not there yet. We're going to talk about Arsenal first. So, um, look, first games of the season are always tricky because you don't know what you're going to get. There's not really any indicator of what form is. Players are betting on the new size, and this year I would say it's even worse because basically the entire team was at the World Cup. So I'm, you know, before this game I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, even though it's Arsenal, they are a top six, seven side, and it's a way, it's an away game. This might be tough because you've got all these moving pieces, moving parts, guys that haven't trained, guys that have barely trained. I wouldn't be, I, you know, I'm just like, you know, I'm not going to put too much into this. I would not be surprised to see like an uneven performance, and they might win with an uneven performance. But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if if things are just a little off. They were not off. <laughs> they picked right back up where they left off. And I think it's a testament to how well-drilled they are at this point. Because you, you, you bring in one guy in Riyad Mahrez, but everybody else is up to speed. They know what the demands are. Even if they change the system, and the system was a bit different. Um, in general, everyone knows what to do. It's become second nature to them now. And it's safe to say that these guys are a well-oiled machine who can just walk in here, some of them having barely trained, um, some of them have had next to no break, and it's just, eh, just walk through a top seven side on the road. Yeah, it's really, really quite impressive. I'll say this. The first half for City, I felt, was a little bit sluggish, and I think that was due largely to the absence of De Bruyne with uh, Bernardo and um, uh, David trying to figure things, or no, excuse me, it was Gundogan um, and and, uh, uh, Fernandinho uh, and Silva there in the midfield trying to figure things out. And and, and by and large, once they got going, it, it, I mean, they dominated the possession. Uh, the goals were were absolutely brilliant. I mean, Sterling, you couldn't have <laughs> Sterling picking up right where he left off. Uh, which I want to put a pin in something on Sterling to talk about a little bit later, and that's his his potential contract situation. Um, but anyway, uh, Sterling basically picks up right where he left off last year, which is scoring goals and scoring great goals. These are the goals that you want to see Raheem scoring because. It takes a certain amount of confidence to try and take or to, to snipe that shot the way that Raheem did. 
Um, I'm not saying it was an impossible shot that only a couple people could pull off, but you need to have that confidence. You need to have that flowing in you to think, all right, I can bang it by this guy. And yeah, it may have taken a hint of a deflection, but <laughs> uh, it was a stellar goal uh, from Raheem Sterling. And, and, you know, to the point about Mares, I thought he slotted in perfectly. I mean, he's sort of like a Mendy uh, in that he just kind of fills in perfectly. He knows what he's supposed to do. He knows where he's supposed to be. Uh, he's uh, clearly followed City uh, and their playing style for some time. So I think he has a general sense of, of how things are supposed to work. Uh, and, and he was certainly dangerous against Arsenal. So I, I think it's only a matter of time before Mares has has a breakout um, and I'm not saying he's going to produce at the level of Salah uh, last season with, I believe, 32 goals. But I truly think that Mares can hit that 20 goal mark uh, with City this year. Um, yeah, but, uh, I, mean, I, you that, know, I think, I think he, he, you know, he started off a bit slow, which is understandable because you know. You're the one guy coming into a situation where everyone else knows exactly what to do, um, I, I, you know. So I think it was only natural that you know it might be a bit quiet at first. But you go back and you know initially, and I think I said this when we talked about how, when he actually signed. Um, you know, initially I wasn't you know over the moon when they when we found out that they were targeting Mars. I just thought, oh, you know, good player, um, you know. But he feels kind of similar to some of the other players they have. Um, but watching him, actually watching him play, um, it, it's more than that. He's he's he fits perfectly um, because if you go back and watch him in, at Leicester, especially in the year they won the title, um, a lot of the things he was doing, um, you know, the, the very direct dribbling and the, the just skinning defenders and creating and scoring, it's you know. It's the exact sort of thing that Guardiola wants to see from his forwards. Um, you know, it's 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 a bit like, and you know, they're 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 in slightly different universes, or not universes, but ones I think one tier up in the other. But it's kind of like buying a discount hazard, um, in that they do a lot of the same things um, in the same ways. Um, so, and Hazard's a guy that, you know, wanted at City since they failed to get him initially. So, I, you know, that's never going to happen now, but I think City went out and they did something like the next best thing. It's like, okay, here's a guy who can do a lot of the same things, has a lot of the same skill set, um, knows the league very well, not a developmental project, you know, you, you're buying someone right now, you're going to get the best out of them, they're right in the prime of their career, um... So I think I think he's absolutely going to come good. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets off to a slow start, just owing to the fact that he's going to be the one guy playing in a team of eleven, who the other ten have been here for a year, or in Laporte's case, six months. But that's still he's full preseason. He had time last season to get to grips with what was expected. Question for you: yes. Since you brought up Laporte, were you at all a bit surprised to see Laporte? And Stones uh, opening the game against Arsenal in the back line, given that Otamendi just signed a brand new contract uh, and company is is totally fit. Were you, were you at all surprised? Somewhat, but I also loved it because I thought that they played great together. 
and I think you know it's not news to say that I think that's the what that's the defensive pairing that City are hoping to be able to put out there going forward for the next ten years. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think that it's some sort of you know give him a push. I you know, company also may be fit, but he also played really late in the World Cup, which I think factored into the thinking there. But Otamendi got done early enough that I think he could have played if they really wanted him to. But um, especially Otamendi played less football this summer than Stones did. So that I thought I thought that was a pretty big statement on on Pep's part, uh, particularly on the Stones factor. Laporte didn't play at the World Cup, so it makes sense that they would you know. They could throw him in there and not really miss much. He had a full preseason. Um, but I think it was quite the vote of confidence to put John Stones in there uh, when he's played so much, when there were arguably fresher options or option available. But it's like, no, you are my guy. You know, you're a huge part of, of, of my plans. And it's particularly, I think, given those oddly sourced rumors that I never believed that he might have gotten sold last summer. I never bought that. Um, but if, if there was still any doubt about that, I would say the the throw, putting him out there in that situation after that summer, I think, should put to rest exactly what Guardiola thinks of Stones. Yeah, and Stones is is really a brilliant young player. It's It's the confidence... Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's like Guardiola has said about him, you know, there, there are mistakes that he's made as a defender that he's trying to cut out of the game. Everything else is there. It's really just limiting the amount of mental lapses that Stones has in games. Um, and, 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 you know, any, I'm not going to say any time, but. A lot of the time when you have a ball-playing central defender, you sort of open yourself up to uh, high-pressing um, and, and things like what Liverpool did to just, you know, completely embarrass City center backs, uh, taking them to task um, last year. So, I... I but Stones didn't seem shaken by it. He didn't seem bothered by it. I mean, he had a couple of injury issues last year, so I think that limited him more than anything else. Uh, but I think, honestly, you know, it would be brilliant to have the pairing of Stones and Laporte on one end, uh, and then you have uh, Company and Otamendi on another end. <clears throat> with the ability to sort of mix and match in between. And and I truthfully think that City have a, a center back for all occasions, if you will, an all-weather center back. Um, you look back at those Real Madrid teams that won the Champions League, and they could go out there, and they basically had two first 11s. Like, they could rotate out the entire side and put in their backups, and it's like, oh, yeah, those guys could also, you know, finish top two in La Liga. It's one of those. I think that's one of those positions where City have gotten to that point because you can throw any of those two out there, and you have a very, you have a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to get the job done. So I mean, you look at that at Arsenal. You put the two youngest center backs out there against a completely new system at Arsenal, um, one that they hadn't faced before, and you know, dealt with. And you know, there was a chance here and a chance there, but they dealt with it. Yeah. 
pretty much the uh, the best chance I saw was from Bellerine. I, I, you know, I think if Bellerine takes a, a different angle instead of basically hitting it right at Ederson, um, that game could have easily been one-one. Uh, you know, at a certain point, possibly for much of the game. Um, who knows if if that leads to uh, Bernardo? You know what's funny, man, is we were talking. Uh, you and I, and I had mentioned I want to see Bernardo. Like, I think the dude is is flying. I think he's had an excellent preseason. And sure enough, what happens? Bernardo with just, uh, uh, I mean, and, and God, we haven't even talked about Mendy. We no. just, we had two assists from Mendy, and he didn't even have a good game. No, he like, didn't. He gave the ball away a bunch. He could not. He was really struggling with with moving in, uh, inverting as a as a fullback. Uh, like you said, there was a sloppy passing, and at the same time, he provides two assists. You know, like <laughs> I'm. I, I, this is in no way, shape, or form me harping on Mendy because I, I I think it's it's simply a matter of not really having played. Uh, with City for a while because of the injury. Uh, he didn't really play much this summer. Um, <laughs> I think he only got on one time, um, maybe two. Uh, but, but yeah, he doesn't have a lot of minutes under his belt since the injury, so it stands to reason that he's going to make some mistakes. He's going to be rusty, and that's fine. That's fine. You know, uh, better to get it out now during this stretch of games than to have it hanging over your head as as the Liverpools and the Uniteds and, and so on and so forth start popping up on the schedule. But, uh, yeah, I, I'd love to have a bad game and still crank out two assists. Absolutely. That system was interesting because it was mostly Mendy tucking inside. And then you had Sterling playing on the left and Mahrez on the right, both as sort of inverted wingers. Um, it was it was unique. Um, but it also was the thing that led to Sterling scoring the first goal from the left-hand side. Um, and obviously, at least in terms of the attack, it worked out for Benjamin Mendy very well. Um, you know, I think there, there were some guys who were a bit off the pace. Fernandinho will have better games this season. Um... The, you know, the, the, the Aguero didn't score, um, but honestly, I couldn't have any complaints because, you know, I, maybe I'm grading on a curve, I probably am, but it was, it's like I said, you, you, you watch that first performance of the season, especially after a World Cup summer like this, and it's just like, gee, this could be anything, and they gave, they, they gave a really good performance, and it's only going to get sharper from here, I think, as they get into their routines, into the training rhythm. Um, they come come to grips with what's expected of them, and they have um, they have they have their workout. Um, obviously, the loss of De Bruyne for a possibly three months is going to hurt them. So um, much. There's no two ways about it. Um, but now we're going to see what we talked about with Bernardo. Yeah, and this is why, if you're a top club, you have to have this this sort of depth, because anything can happen. Um, we've seen it before. We saw it when he got hurt in 15-16. Um, City's form that winter, after he got hurt, it dipped, notably. And it's not a coincidence that it happened after he got hurt. 
Um, it's also not a coincidence that it happened after they announced Guardiola was coming, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but, you know, this is why if you're a big club that expects to contend, contend in four competitions, then you better have the depth to do so. Because you're going to have injuries, you're going to have times where players need a, need need a game. Um, you got to have you got to have a deputy in there who can step up and fulfill their shoes. They don't have to be a perfect facsimile. They do not have to be quite as good. You know, City don't need Bernardo Silva to come into the team and be Kevin De Bruyne for them to succeed until he gets back. Um, they do. They what they need him to be is they need him to look a little bit like he did in the preseason. Yeah. Uh, um, obviously, you need David Silva to, uh, to maybe pick up some of the creative slack, and you've got guys like like Mares that we mentioned, or uh, you know, who who can also play really creatively. Mares is more, you know, it's dumb saying this when they have Leroy Sané, who almost won co won the assists title last year, but Mares is kind of more of a uh, creative minded player than either Sané or Sterling is. Yeah. Um. So I think. I think his 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 presence is going to be very timely without De Bruyne, and he's going to have to pick up some of that slack, along with the Silvas and whoever else plays in midfield. Um, the, the, you know, uh, if which he, I think it I, I think it'll work <clears throat> because, like you said, you don't need Bernardo to come in there and be Kevin De Bruyne. You need Bernardo to go in there and be Bernardo because he's a, he's a handful himself. He, he may be a bit better with the ball at his feet in terms of trying to get it off him. I'm not saying that he's better with what he can do with the ball than De Bruyne. I'm just saying in terms of possession, he may be a little more tricky and crafty than De Bruyne to keep it, even though De Bruyne himself is really tricky and crafty and hard to dispossess. Uh, but, yeah, he, I mean, you're giving up some size there, uh I, I, I'm curious about the speed. I truly am because De Bruyne is fast. He really is. There's no two ways about it. Yeah, he he. You know, it's amazing that he kind of turned into Fernandinho accepted um, the more box to box midfielder type of mm-hmm. of everyone, and and neither Silva is that. And that I think yeah. will will definitely be a Gundogan. Gundogan's close, yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him um, and Fernandinho splitting a bit of time deep, and for, uh, as well as Gundogan, you know, co- popping up in the team here and there. I don't think he was that great on Sunday either, but um, it's it's. Could have something to do with there, that. There are moments, yeah. There are moments with with Gundogan where he plays really well, and then there are moments where you're like, I don't know if they figured out where he best fits into this team. Mm. Um, and Sunday was one of those latter moments, and it's just like, is is this really is you know is this sitting him or is he just you know is he just off today? Because we've seen what he can do if he's fit. He's a very good player. He can, he can do a lot of things for you, but um, yeah, that wasn't his best performance. Um, you wonder, you wonder, because we didn't really see Sané on Sunday, you wonder if there's going to be any hangover for the Germans, although Sané wasn't in the World Cup, so you don't have to worry about it, but you wonder if there's going to be any hangover for the Germans because of how absolutely disastrous that whole thing was, but I suspect that it's not going to be that big a deal once they get going. What do you make of Mendy's... Because I... I don't want to spoil anything, but Mendy was talked about on the All or Nothing series. I mean, 
that shouldn't be a spoiler at all. But one of the things that's said about him is the amount of space that he can open up because of his ability to get up and get down. Um, he's as adequate going forward as he is defending. Uh, and adequate's really the wrong word. He is as good going forward as he is defending. Um, what do you make of the, the way the offense or the team looks with him on the field as opposed to them not having him? Do you think that having Mendy back may actually help City weather this storm because of his ability to, to, to just terrify defensive back lines? Oh, it helps, no doubt. It's a different dynamic because last year they didn't really have that because he missed almost the entire season. And Delft did such a great job deputizing, but he was not asked to do the exact same things that they'll be asking of Mendy because they know that it's just not what he does. So, um, you know, that you had him kind of doing both roles. He's bombing forward, but he's also cutting inside and sort of doing the Delft bonus midfielder thing. And it's like there's a level of versatility. There's a level of skill. There's a level of everything here that's a step above what, what was there last year. Um, and it's why they so highly prioritized him in the transfer market when they signed him. Um, what, what I would say is that you have more, I think if you're Guardiola, you have more ways to play now. You have more things to play with. Because last year, you know, he kind of got, you know, I want to say forced into using the 4-3-3 because it was so unbelievably successful, but... If you ask him, I honestly think it was done out of necessity more than a desire because of the injuries and the personnel. And, um, you know, once Mendy went down, we did not see Jesus and Aguero play together very often, which it has been intimated was more or less strictly correlated with Mendy getting hurt um, because he, he, he was going to be relied upon to offer that width on the left side. But once... He went down, they couldn't ask Delft to do the exact same thing, they kind of went with the two traditional wingers more so that they could still have that, and it cost either Aguero or Jesus their spot in the team. So it adds an extra layer of versatility, I think. It adds, um, you can do more with more of your players. Like, you don't need to have two wingers out there. You can mess around a bit. You can play two strikers. Um... I don't think you, you can, can pack the midfield you if you can pack want the midfield. I don't think you can overstate how vital Mendy is to making to in terms for if you're Guardiola being able to do all see all these different things and giving teams different looks both in attack and defense all the time. Um, I do think it changes the dynamic, and I don't you know you could see it immediately on Sunday. This was not the same system they played with last year. It was markedly different in some ways. And I think we're going to see more of that. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And I think the biggest test will be on uh, October 7th when they, uh, when they play Liverpool. Um, and I believe they go to Anfield. At least we get it out of the way quickly this year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just I hate that game. I despise I that, that game. I, I hate that game. I hate that team. I know I you're supposed to hate I you. love... I love watching that team, but I hate everything about Liverpool Football Club. Yeah, you know, I, it's one of those. It's one of those things where I know it's supposed to be united. I know that the the, the right answer is the rags are the number one enemy, but not for me. Like, 
<laughs> Competitively, <laughs> not right now. I mean, it, because it's not just Liverpool. It's their fans. They mm-hmm. are... Oh, my goodness. They're insufferable. So, so many of them. So many this of them This documentary are. is not going to help your opinion. I know. I That's why I had to stop myself before... I watched the uh, the Liverpool episode. I I needed to have the the away game in the league last year no longer pisses me off nearly as much as the Champions League tie did. Yeah, that's kind of where that's I'm the worst out. part. Um, yeah, yeah. I could spend an hour talking about what's wrong with United. That's fun. Um, yeah, <laughs> but but I you know. I, I hate Liverpool just with all of my being. So I'm 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 really hoping that the addition of Mendy will make that game because uh, because let's be real, City just don't have good luck against Liverpool for whatever reason. Liver, yeah, it's I mean Klopp tactically is the one guy who constantly sets up his team in a way that perfectly counters what City do. Because we we I feel like we've discussed this before in that you know everyone's like well you know look at what Liverpool do why can't you just high press them because if you don't practice that all the time all season long you'll get ripped. I mean look at what happened to Arsenal. They're trying to play it, press and play it out from the back, and you have Petrček nearly passing it into his own goal. You, you cannot just, you know, one week become an expert in high pressing. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Liverpool do it all year long. They're well drilled in it. They know exactly what to do. So and the players that they have are drilling perfectly it. suited for it. Oh my goodness! So you know, I, 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 I wish I wish that team was playing in like Spain or Germany or somewhere, so I could really appreciate what they do because they are a blast. But no, screw them. Um, but you know, that is that is the thing is that they are so perfectly well drilled. They don't just do it for City. That's how they play. And when it comes up against City, a team that is vulnerable to that style of play, it causes problems. Of course, it can backfire for them sometimes. We have seen them underachieve in the league. They didn't even... How did they finish? Did they finish third last year? Yeah. Third or fourth? Um, they finished third, and I believe... Uh, and it wasn't particularly close. Tottenham. Yeah. Um, they they weren't, you know, they dropped a lot of really weird points over the course of the season. Um, so, yeah, sometimes it doesn't work. But, you know, it's, you know, high pressing when you are already facing a park the bus is not exactly, you know, it's hard to play that way. But, you know, Liverpool are... They finished fourth. They did finish fourth. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, they it is hard... You cannot just do that for a week and then expect to to, to work against City. But they are so well-drilled and they do it all the time that they present the biggest problem matchup-wise, stylistically, from any team in the Premier League. Although I would argue that Tottenham are a close second. Um, mm, City have shredded Tottenham. City have shredded, yeah. I mean... What? Of course... Tottenham are a poor substitute, but... I think they... Yeah. At least look organized. Realistically, I think it's a system that can give City issues, but it did not last year. Um, it did in the year before, and it did the year before that, but that was a very different time. Um, you know, you, you look at teams like United that, that, I mean, everybody knows what they're going to do, and City can deal with that. Um, Chelsea, 
Um, last year they dealt with it pretty well, though Chelsea kept them in check pretty well, all things considered. They only scored twice. What do you, what do you think of Sarri's Chelsea? <sighs> um, very much a work in progress, but I think he'll get them... I mean, Jorginho is one that is going to sting for a while. More than any other recent miss, I think. That's going to bug me, because he looks so good. And he would have been so perfect here. Um... Obviously, they're an enormous work in progress. We saw it during the Community Shield. It's just like, I I think it's going to take But he did give the ball away enough times to City that I felt good about that in yeah. the game. Yeah, I think, yeah. Um, I think overall, it's going to take him a while because he's, you know, Chelsea are such an oddly run club at this point that he basically, he, he's, he has an Antonio Conte team trying to play a completely different style. Um, and that's going to take a while. It's not going to work out real well in the early going. They'll beat the teams like Huddersfield, no problem. But you know, I it, they play Arsenal this weekend. That will be interesting. It will be, I think, a good barometer to see where those are both at. Because I don't know how much you can take from that Arsenal game on their account because they just play City, you know. Um, so that's going to be two teams that are up against each other that are both trying to find their footing in, in in something new. So we'll see. But you know, I like Sari stylistically. I thought his Napoli teams were very good. All City did. You know, handle they gave City two tough games, but City didn't win both of them. Um, but you know, it remains to be seen how quickly, if at all, that's it's going to work in this league, and how quickly the I think he can make it work. I think he will adapt, but I also I think if Roman Abramovich does give him the money, yeah, that's the thing. I also think that Chelsea will need to back him, which was a problem with Conti. And they will also need to exhibit a little bit of patience, which has always been a problem with Abramovich. Um, I think if they're willing to do that, I think Sarri will come good, but I don't think it's going to happen overnight. No, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, but Napoli, for me, were one of the more, you know, serious. <laughs> you have to really appreciate soccer um, to appreciate Syria, it's very slow, it's very defensive, very technical. Um, I personally enjoy watching it. Uh, I, I couldn't get enough of it when it was on BN, uh, and I'm sorry to see it go to ESPN Plus because they're simply just never going to get my money. Um, short of the Premier League signing an exclusive contract with them, which is I don't have to worry about for the foreseeable future because NBC locked that up. Um, yeah, I just don't I don't see that happening. Thank God, uh, because NBC's soccer coverage is about five million times better than yeah. any other networks. Yep. <laughs> they are setting the I, I, I don't want to see it go anywhere else. I don't want to see it go anywhere else. I love I? Balls. I I was also not particularly crushed to see Fox lose the FA Cup. <laughs> I was either. And the Champions League. Although I'm not particularly pleased to see Turner putting it all behind a paywall. But that's neither here nor there. Um, not that. But, yeah, no, I, I, I think Sorry is a guy that has a fantastic system, an attractive system, something that's going to... Even if Chelsea fans are losing games or, or, you know, a game here, a game there, but they're still, you know, being Chelsea throughout the course of a season, I, I think it's easier to swallow those losses when you see your team being aggressive and going for it and, and you know, like Napoli did. They went up on City before City 
you know, finally put it to bed when they won 4-2. Um, it's... Uh, yeah, that was one I, of the best games of the year, too. It was. It really was. And I genuinely hope that we get to see Sari's style. I... I <clears throat> for I don't know... I'm beginning to wonder about Unai Emery. I truthfully am. I don't know how well this Arsenal experiment is going to work with him at the helm. Arsenal's problem is not at the coaching level, especially now that um, was it was it Gazidis? No. Who bought? Um, didn't oh shoot! Didn't Kroenke buy everybody out? Yes, he did. You, of all people, are well positioned to know why that's such a huge problem for Arsenal Football Club. <laughs> yeah, Kroenke. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I, that was pretty much the the narrative on Kroenke, and then you look what he did with the Rams this offseason. That's true. That's very You're true. You're like, okay, so for a guy who's not supposed to spend anything... He only brought in like, some of the best players in the NFL, uh, at least in terms of production. And, and I mean, let's be real, dude. The thought of Aaron Donald and Indomitian Sue playing on the same defensive line really just isn't fair. It's not fair, and it won't be fair uh, for opposing quarterbacks. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, Kroenke was not a, uh, a spendy type of guy he didn't spend a lot he he would invest um as as you would expect he wasn't he wasn't super cheap but he just wasn't a guy that flashed a lot of cash um but now i i think he's settling into this idea of of having an empire having a successful empire with arsenal on on one side of the pond and the rams on the other um so I I I will be curious to see what happens cuz I'm not entirely sure that Arsenal believe Unai Emery is the guy. Like you never want to be the guy who follows the guy. You want to be the guy who follows the guy who follows the guy. Ask David Moyes. <laughs> mhm. So it's I I don't know if if you know, Kroenke's not investing at this point because he's he's as unsure about Unai Emery as I am, um, or, or it's just because he has no intention of giving Arsenal any money, it's, but the fans are his baby. It's, <laughs> it's hard to give, given how Arsenal have handled business the last however many years, it's kind of hard to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think that the problems of that at that club are, you know, go above and beyond the coach. And that was true of, Ven- of Wenger too. You know, everybody thinks, oh, we can g- if we get rid of Wenger, bring in someone new. You know, Arsenal fans think that they deserve to be in the top four. They're not making the top four this year. I will say that right now. They're not going to make the top four this year. Um, the basic watch that come back on me at the end of the year. <laughs> the basic equivalent of what Arsenal are doing are, is is managing this steady prospect of two and three star. Uh, recruits. And you know, then, they, they've got these guys like uh, Guendouzi who is starting on Sunday. It's like, you come from the French second division. It's like, these right? guys are not going to take you where you wait, need to go. 
Obama Yang, outstanding signing. What the, Lacazette seemed like an outstanding signing, and now he's basically useless. I, I mean, I don't know what Arsenal are doing, but here's to hoping they get it figured out. <laughs> but you're right. Maybe not. They're not top four. They're 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 just not. They haven't they haven't recruited top four. They haven't signed top four. They haven't played top four. They haven't. You can, you know you got I can you can lock down uh, two of those spots right now. City and Liverpool will make the top four. Mm-hmm. Tottenham didn't sign anyone this summer. Yeah. But I think they can still make it if they stay healthy. Yeah, I will be curious to see if Tottenham explore the winter market. I would be surprised. That stadium thing seems to be throwing them off a bit. And then beyond that, it's Man United, Chelsea, probably maybe Arsenal if they can make a run at it. But I think it's going to come down to the other two. Um, and we'll see how deeply Mourinho third season syndrome gets right now, especially with him not having won a title. Of any kind. Uh, Not a meaningful one. I mean, he won the Europa League, which, you know, you're only happy about winning the Europa League if you are not that ambitious. I guess I shouldn't say of any kind. He didn't. He won a couple. They had had the treble. I should have. They won, you know, they won the League Cup, which, you know, if you can win the League Cup, that's great. But if you're Manchester United, you're not going out there with with your ambition being to win the League Cup. Nor is it your ambition to win the Europa League. If City win the Europa League, I'll be disappointed because that will mean that something bad happened in the Champions League. Um, so it's, you know, where that goes, I don't know. I think there's a lot of deep structural problems at that club that go well beyond him. And I said this on Twitter, as long as Ed Woodward is in charge of so much over there, they are just content to sit there in the top four and make their money. And... Um, I don't think they should be happy about that, but I'm pretty sure that's how Ed Woodward and the Glazers roll, um, which I think is stemming with a lot of frustration with Mourinho, who does want to win, but is you know his transfer targets are getting vetoed by Ed Woodward, and Pogba's not happy with him and wants to go to Barcelona, and it's just a mess over there. And you know I don't think an unconvincing 2-1 win over Leicester is quite the coup that some people seem to think it was. Right. Um, especially considering they were outpossessed. They didn't play that great. Yeah, that was really strange to watch Lester have the ball. I from a, cannot and help. Luke, Luke Shaw's goal was just, it mm-hmm. was awkward. Like I mean, they give away, Lester give away a dumb penalty and an awkward goal. And now I can't help but wonder if, Mar- if some of Marino's preseason whining actually helped to set expectations low because they win a game at Leicester and everyone in the press is like, that was so encouraging. I was like, no, it was garbage. If City yeah. played like that, I would say, well, we got the three points, but thank God we can't play like that every week. <laughs> that um, was sort of like the, uh, what was it, the 1-0 victory over Feyenoord in the Champions League? Yeah, they had a few games like that last year and it happens to every good team, but you don't sit there saying, that's a, you know, Beating Leicester at Old Trafford should never be a relief for Manchester United. Are you kidding me? It should be commonplace. They should be expecting that every time they play Leicester at Old Trafford. And I just sit there and I'm watching these pundits like, okay, that's going to give them a really good feeling. It's like, I wonder if Mourinho's whining has gotten so deep in there that like he legitimately convinced everyone that they were going to get 
lose 5-0 at home because they didn't. And now everyone's treating it like some sort of coup. And it's like, what the hell is wrong with you people? Are you really buying into all this? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's dumb. It's weird. It's it's so it's a convoluted mess to be sure. I mean, thank thank the gods that uh, glory to Bast, as it were, that uh, uh, Guardiola and City uh, and the board and everybody they're just they're just on the same page, man. They are on the same. Yeah. page. And this and is a now well we see, yeah, I think it's no coincidence that we're now seeing that United were going to hire a director of football, which is long overdue, because that Very club oh. has brought in, yeah, I mean, that club has brought in, you know, since Ferguson left, three different managers, all different stylistically, all with their own transfer targets, and every time they sack one, the next guy's got to figure out what to do with all this deadwood the last guy brought in. There's no consistency to their, you know, I don't know what they're trying to do anymore. They had a clear identity under Ferguson. What the heck's their identity now? I don't know, and they go through so many, uh, you know, ma- they've gone through so many managers, um, it's, and and now they, you know, you've got Mourinho bitching about Van Hall's signings, and you've got, you know, they need they need to find some consistency over there, if not at the managerial level, at the direct at the level of technical director, because they're just a mess. They have been so poorly run since Ferguson left, and it's no surprise that they have fallen. To the to, that they're at in the place that they are. All right, yeah. one, what? Go ahead. Oh no, I was I was just agreeing. I got you. You said it all, man. That was perfectly I have, put. I have one question before we move on. Sure. Does Mourinho last the season at United? <laughs> all right. As of right now, I'm not seeing anything that leads me to believe he won't. I agree with you. So I'm going to tentatively say yes with the right to completely dump my own prediction on its head and flip it because, yeah, that seems to be how Mourinho operates. One minute it's fine, the next minute it's – and I understand it because I do that to a certain degree. Like I catastrophize everything. Like if something's going to go wrong – I make it go spectacularly wrong, even at my own detriment. And these situations can come out of nowhere. But right now, I I do think that United, while they missed out on a lot of transfer targets, they did bring in some quality. I really believe that. I think Fred, there's a reason City wanted him. Like, there's, let's, Let's not pretend or, or engage in revisionist history saying, oh, to hell with that guy. He sucks. He wasn't ever any. No, dude, Fred's a really quality player. He gives them uh, some depth in midfield, and he also gives them a set piece uh, master, which you can never really have too much of those on your team, guys that can just do incredible things from set pieces. So Fred is a really quality signing, and and I'm just I'm curious to see how United uh, react or or go on as as Mourinho goes on. But right now, I I think he does. But I am in no way, shape, or form tied to that prediction, and I will happily do an about face without. I don't care if you want to be like, yeah, you just flipped your prediction. Yep, yep, yes, yes, I did. I think he lasts the season as long as they are contending for top four. Agreed. I, as, um, if they have, like, a Chelsea-esque meltdown, like the, uh, yeah, he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. 
But I, I don't know that that will happen. Um, I think they'll be in the mix enough that he will last the season. After the season, I don't know. All bets are off. It depends on where they finish and if they bring in that technical director and how much power they give them. There's a lot of variables there. But I do think that he ultimately lasts the season. And another reason I think that is if they part ways with him, where do they go next? Well, not just that, but for Mourinho, if you fail this out and yep. you show again that you can't handle it in your third season, <laughs> now you've, you've got a very visible trend, and, and it's going to put people off to hiring you. They're going to be like, why? Mm-hmm. Like, you may give me something he's, in season one, season two burned, is headaches. He's burned so many bridges now. Yep. And, and uh, where does he go? What big exactly. club does he like, coach? He's like not Bayern Munich, no chance. Nope. Um, you know Italy. Juventus, no, maybe. I don't think you know that seems. Juventus don't change coaches that often. Um, no, but I could see Max Max Allegri doing. Yeah, it's mostly if their coach leaves. <laughs> um. Is, Pretty much. Yeah, he's. He, I know he wasn't particularly popular when he was in Italy either. Um, Spain, I don't, you know, Barcelona will never touch him. Real Madrid will never touch him again. Um, in England, he's already, you know, he's not going to go back to Chelsea. Um, you know, City, obviously, is never going to hire him. Um, I can't imagine him going to Arsenal. Um, and Tottenham, Daniel Levy would never pay <laughs> what it takes to bring in Jose Mourinho, who will still probably be asking for money as if he is the Jose Mourinho. So, yeah, I don't know where he would go if, if this flunks out, you know. Yeah, so it I makes could, sense. I could see him setting up at, you know, PSG or something silly like that, but I don't think that's really where he wants to be. No, I, I, I think it's in Mourinho's best interest and in United's best interest to to have this marriage counseling and make this work. <laughs> right. Right. I, I genuinely think that's the case for both people. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's my answer about United. Before we move on, let's talk about the Sterling contract thing that you alluded to earlier. Oh yes. Um, I, I don't really have much to say about the Huddersfield match. They're at home. It's Huddersfield who I think are going to be deep, deep trouble this season in terms mm-hmm. of staying up. I can't see any way that they won't win that game. So, no. It's not much of a comprehensive preview, but it's big city against little team, and that's intended to go one way last year. Although Huddersfield did hold them at home, but that was yeah, also... Huddersfield put up a fight in that both was, games. That was, that was um, City already won the title. They were getting the trophy that day, and Huddersfield were fighting like crazy to survive in the Premier League. I think the dynamic will be slightly different on Sunday. Yeah. And I Absolutely. think that that will play right into City's hands, and they will, and you know, they might have some trouble breaking them down at first, but they will, and once they do, I think that's only going to go one way. Um, so yeah, the Sterling thing, um, he's been, you know, we've seen in the news that um, they're at a bit of a stalemate over his new contract, and mm-hmm. that he wants to be paid um, on par with the big boys, the big fish in the pond. Um, and City have made very clear publicly that they want to keep him. They want him to be here. And it sounds like Sterling has made clear that, you know, all things equal, he would really prefer to be here too. But it hasn't gotten done yet. They have time. It's not like his contract's up at the end of this year. Um, it's the end of next year, I believe. Yeah. Um, so he's still got this season and next season before 
before that expires, so they've got time to work this out. Um, where are you at with this? Since you, you, I mean, you you mentioned it, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on. Uh, well, it all seems positive in yeah, terms of that's, what you. That's hear. my inclination too. It's like when when the club wants to someone to stay, the player wants to stay. Usually, these things do end up getting worked out in the end. <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne is probably the best example here because. It took some time with him. Like he didn't just jump at the at the first contract offer that City put in front of him. He very clearly had some things that he wanted to get out of it, and he did um, uh, to his satisfaction and to City's satisfaction as they locked up uh, the creative engine of their midfield for basically his entire career, his prime. Um, so I, I I think that in a similar way. Uh, Sterling and City may be far apart right now, but that's just, I think, City's negotiating tactic is always going to be like, how low can we go before he finally says, you know? And it's not that they're trying to lowball him by any stretch of the imagination. I don't think that's what's happening. I think they're putting numbers in his ballpark. I just don't think that they're, you know, putting it 450 feet over the fence to, to get him to sign. They're, they're, they're likely offering him somewhere in the neighborhood of what he's asking. He's just going to try and get it to go up, and City are going to try and keep it as close to their initial offer uh, as, as, as they possibly can. But in terms of the press, the player, the club, um, hell, they even mention it on All or Nothing. Like They're very clearly trying to send a signal to Sterling that they want him here. They want him here for the foreseeable future, and they see great things with him. So I am hopeful, but anytime you have a player uh, that, um, what shall we say, uh, could possibly be available, because two years is about that about that time. Yeah, that's when people start sniffing around. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what Raheem's ambitions are. I don't know what Raheem had in mind for his own career he's he's had some goals so i don't know what he's thinking and that makes me a bit nervous not because i doubt him it's just that anytime a situation is solely in the player's hands it uh it's a little nerve-wracking and hopefully it gets done but if raheem sterling moves on i do think that there are uh, suitable replacements out there available, guys like Leon Bailey, uh, so on and so forth, who are young, um, but but creative, speedy. Uh, throw, call, throw, call, 150, call. throw 150 million at Barcelona and sign Dembele. Yep, <laughs> yep, dude. I know they could throw 300 at him. You sign Usman Dembele to replace Sterling, and that would be the one guy where I'd be like, this is an upgrade. You see that goal he scored in the Super Cup against Sevilla? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, come on. Come this on. dude, uh, yeah, I, I, that is one guy that if, if it came him, to the him opportunity... Him and Mbappe, I would just, you know, take, yeah. shut up and take my money. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, you know, I'm not nervous yet. I'm a little bit, uh, you know, not annoyed. That's the wrong word. But, you know, uh, you know, just sort of... Anxious. Eh? Yeah, that's a, that's a better word. 
because um, you want to get these things done. But it's mm-hmm. negotiation, isn't it? And it's kind of, you know sometimes these things do play out publicly in a certain way. And I do think there's a bit of theater going on with both sides that are trying to draw some lines in the sand so they mm-hmm. get, get what they want here. It's normal. I don't really take it as a bad sign. No. Um, if he goes to the BBC again and throws, you know, the club. Yeah, if he has another interview on the BBC, then, then, I think, then I think we have a problem. But we're not there yet. No. <laughs> yeah, um, I I have faith in Sterling. I think the club has shown him enough uh, of what he wants to see. He wants to be wanted. Yeah. I think and the I th- club the has done I a good job of that. Is, is, is where does he go that he's going to have a better situation? You know what I mean? Um, right. You know, he's he's at a club that he's going to play regularly while challenging for all four competitions. You know, mm-hmm. you can't you can't really say that anywhere you go. Uh, so mm. not, short, short, some, of a, short of a really bad game against or a really bad series against <laughs> Roma. Actually, it was just a bad game. Uh, Ernesto Valverde could have could have done something really impressive. Oh sure. There's a handful of clubs in the world that that you can that, that it is, but you know, how many you know? His, it's his, for me his, his options his options are limited if you leave City in terms of getting that. Right? Is is it not stunning to you now that we're seeing like these global lists of like the best football clubs in the world and cities at like number one or number yes, two? it is. It's it's it's, it's weird. You're um, Barcelona behind City, and you're like, mm-hmm. eh, so it's I'm trying to embrace it because I don't want to spoil it. Because there's a, there's a thing that Pep says in the documentary that I won't spoil, but I'm trying to embrace it for, you know, I'm I'm letting Pep coach me from from beyond. I like that idea. I'll take that same approach. Yeah. So you know, listen to what he says, and I think that you might also know because we talked a bit before we got on here, but I think you'll you might also know what what he's referring to that made me think, you know. Gee, maybe maybe I have been, you know, you know, not underselling City, but maybe I should be demanding, you know, everything of them. There's a point that made me think that it's interesting. I will not spoil it, but, um, you know, let I'm gonna answer the the, the question that we got first before we go into the documentary, so that just in case this person doesn't want to hear about the documentary but wants to hear the answer to their question. Um, I, I do want to get to that right now so that we can talk about the documentary freely and everyone who doesn't want to hear it yet can just go on with their day. Um, this is from Ian O'Neill, our, our old pal Ian O'Neill. Um, Fernandinho was perhaps the best player against Arsenal. It is clear that a replacement for him must be made for the near future. Whom should City purchase and should it happen this winter? I think they should go get Jorginho from Chelsea. <laughs> yeah, I... I... Um, I you know, I... I wish I knew the answer. I don't. I'm not really. The problem with the deep line, the, the Fernandinho role, so to speak, is that it is such a unique role, and there are so few players in the world that can fill it. Um, I mean, we heard so much about Weigel, but he didn't have the best season in Germany. And apparently, from what I've read, Pep is no longer convinced that you know he when he was targeting Weigel initially, he didn't really have that first-hand experience of the physicality of the Premier League, and now that he has, he's not sure that Weigel would cut it. So. I, I don't think it needs to happen in Windsor. I think they can get if they, if it can happen in Windsor, sure. But I don't think they're dead. Can, they can we take a minute to bring up the the dunk on Regis stability when he talks <laughs> about 
Well, we can move Stones to defensive midfielder like I was the first to mention it, and now Pep's doing. I we must mentioned have it. Some we mentioned it on this podcast last season. <laughs> I think we actually mentioned it on this podcast two seasons ago. Right? And, and this dude is, oh my goodness. And I, I love the guy's response. Like, <laughs> uh, 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 Arteta, like, what, what are we going to, or Pep, what are we going to do? We need a defensive midfielder. Arteta, <laughs> did you see Regis Stability's tweet the other day? We should move stones. Like, <laughs> it's just, did, what did the you, hell? Did you see Petr Cech obliterate him too? No, I did not. Please tell me what okay, happened. Okay, hold on. I gotta find this. Um, so, so Petr Cech gets on, get you know, be, because of that that kick that he nearly put into his own goal that we that we referred to uh, earlier. Um, you know, he he got on, you know, because it it was sort of it became a something of a meme. Um, so he gets on Twitter afterward. Uh, this was actually in, in response to Bayer Leverkusen, who, 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 you know, because Arsenal bought Bernd Leno from them this summer, but they didn't start him, and obviously Czech looked a bit uncomfortable with the ball at his feet. So uh, Bayer Leverkusen um, retweeted a video of Czech, Czech's kick, and I believe the comment was something to the tune of, we know a guy, um, which didn't go down very well. Um, and, and Petr Czech actually called him out on Twitter over it. He said, you know, Fair comp professionalism is important, and um, it's an important thing to teach young footballers, and it's sad to see when other clubs don't share the same values. So Stability tweets at him, I'm reading this word for word here, professionalism? How can you talk about professionalism when you haven't improved your distribution after nearly two decades of training? You've embarrassed yourself, your club, and the supporters. And normally, you know, people ignore this guy, but Petrchak actually retweets him for all the world to see with the comment, maybe try to Google what professionalism really means. <laughs> <laughs> that made me happy and it made oh, me like Petr Cech a lot actually. I, I I I will say this, man. I uh I once thought Registability like had some some value like this is before I really realized what, mm -hmm. what... Sometimes you got to follow a dude just yeah. to find out how yeah, much he's, of a tool he's one of those he's one of those guys who um who who who's able to sound smart and authoritative, and he's got his UEFA B license in his in his bio to make him seem even more authoritative. So he makes him look credentialed. Then you follow him for a while, and you see that his takes are garbage. Um, I remember unfollowing him when he was like, "It's strange for me to see all these these grown footballers cry. I've never cried as an adult. It's clearly a sign of poor control of your emotions." I was like, "I'm done with you. Yep. Get off my yep. timeline." <laughs> I remember seeing that tweet, and I think I, 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 that was the one that I think did me into. Like, I still remember. I know he doesn't listen to the podcast, but Timothy Burke, Puppy oh, Frog, right, yeah. dude. I still remember the tweet that made me unfollow him, where he was talking about his wife. Uh, but he's like, so. Pen meets paper, and I have agreed to enter an arrangement whereby we pledge each other's lives to one another, but there will be no official ceremony or any. And I'm just like, seriously, dude? Seriously? Like, why can't you just get on here and say, I proposed, my girlfriend said yes, we're going to have an unconventional marriage. <laughs> I, I, I was just, I was done, dude. I'm, I'm like, I'm out. 
That's mm-hmm. that's my cutoff line. Mm-hmm. So yeah, bad tweets. Anyway, what was the what was homeboy's question? Uh, we we're asking, um, you know, the eventual long term replacement for, midfielders. for Fernandinho. Who who should it be and should it happen this winter? I was kind of surprised that they just sort of, you know, immediately just swore off Kovacic when yeah. he was clearly available. I was I was hoping that the uh, Modric to Inter stuff had legs so that City yeah. could swoop in at the last second. <laughs> not It's not a long-term replacement, but this is really just a personal dream that would be fulfilled by seeing Luka Modric play for Manchester City, so just bear with me here. Um, my, my friend Alex... Uh who uh, runs the uh, sports director for uh, 560 WQAM in Miami. Um, that or he's just all on the radio all the time. I can't, I don't, I don't remember which, but, but he's, he's, he's got some juice as they say. Uh, he is an inter fan <laughs> and he's been using the hashtag free Modric like all summer. Because he is like convinced that Modric wanted to come to Inter, but but uh, Real were just like, no, we're not going to let you go. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, man. They sold Cristiano Ronaldo. Why wouldn't they sell Modric? I can't help but think that that was the classic Spanish tradition of, hi, I want a new contract now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 by the way, here's this interested club over here that I could sign a new contract for if you're not willing to give it to me. Hmm. But yeah, that's that's what I think. I don't I don't know. I think I think Kovacic could do a job. I'm I confess that I genuinely don't don't know who. But I I don't think it has to be done in winter. If it can be done in winter, I'm all for it. But if it does it have to be? I don't think so. I think they have enough depth to get through this season. And by the way, another guy who I think could not benefit from the De Bruyne injury, but we could see something of Phil Foden in yeah. certain games. I think, you know, I think his role just got a little bit bigger for the next couple months. Yes. Not in that position, but... It's going to be interesting to see how he deals with uh, with the physicality if, if they choose to. I don't, I don't know that they'll throw him into the Liverpool game, but I think this is a fine opportunity for him to really get his feet wet. Because he played a few times last season, but not really in the big competitions. He played in the League Cup. A um, few substitute appearances at the end of the season. He got his medal. But, you know, at some point, you got to get these guys into the team, here and there at least. And if they're not loaning them out, which they clearly aren't, then I think you know you gotta. It's there's gonna be points that I think you have to throw them in there and see. What if you what if you poach a guy like Eric Dyer from Tottenham? Enough on the ball though. I don't know if he's you know. To me, Eric Dyer has always kind of profiled as more of a center back than a, than a midfielder. Fair enough. Well, Sergio Busquets and and Barcelona seem doable, yeah. Um, seem to be coming to. Yeah, but I think again, that's you know, that's not a long term. I just don't. No, I, I don't expect anything to be long term here. Yeah. I'm just talking about a guy that can come in, get it done for you, while you continue to shop around. Since the best defensive midfielders, like literally number one and number two on your list, went to other clubs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was Fred and Jorginho. Jorginho, you know, bug the heck out of it. You're I gonna know. Have to, you're going to have to get used to this one. 
I, I know I said I was over it, but I'm not over it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not with a lot of these things, too. It's frustrating. But you know what? It's it's not it's not frustrating like, damn it, Manchester City, you guys suck for not getting it done. It's frustrating because it largely was done, and then Chelsea came in with this ludicrous... Like it's just, I, and, and I, it's, my it's the frustrating of, part of football, right? My, like, my hatred of De Laurentiis grows by the day. Yeah, I, my hatred of dealing with Italian clubs grows by the day. They're notoriously, notoriously frustrating and impossible to deal with. Like, I am stunned that the transfer of Ronaldo to Juventus didn't take an entire season. Like, I have no idea how those two clubs got that done so quickly. Like, Real Madrid isn't exactly... Yeah, I mean, it's probably easier to sell to an Italian club than to buy from one. Uh, Okay, uh, all right. Uh, I also remember how, you know, sometimes City have sold players over there, and everyone's like, well, no, we want a loan with an option to buy. Option to buy. No. <laughs> no, we that's that's not how this works. That's not how this works. Yeah. So. Oh, no. Okay. Um at this point, if you have not watched the first two episodes of All or Nothing and do not want to be spoiled, turn us off. Come back once you've seen it. We will not be offended. And um, we appreciate you listening. Yeah, we really uh, again, do. If, if you're leaving right now, thanks for listening. We'll be back again after the Huddersfield game, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, right now we are going to talk about the documentary. If you have not seen we're only going to talk about the first two episodes um, because that's what Josh has seen. So if you have not seen those two episodes or both of them and do not want to be spoiled, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You can come back and listen to it once you've seen them, but we do not want to be the people who spoil it for you. If you have seen those two episodes, stay with us. We're going to talk about them. Um so I don't even know where to start with this, honestly, except that it's just so mind-blowingly well done. Um, you know, you hear about these things and you're not sure how, is it, how sanitized is it going to be, you know, because in the past we've seen club documentaries and it's, they, they paint they paint a rosy picture. Um, and uh, this one's inevitably, you know, they, they got they paid for a lot of access. They're not going to turn around and be like, this crap pile of a club, this is a deep inner look. and <laughs> But... I really don't know where to start. It's just so well done. I would start with the way that it's structured is, is, is great to me because there's a mixture of uh, archived footage, obviously through NBC or uh, Fox because they own the Champions League footage and NBC owns the Premier League footage. And then you've got the the Manchester City calls on Manchester City Radio uh, for, for, for all home stuff and, and these player cam experiences. Like Kyle Walker is walking around filming people and Kevin tips off his salary by saying, so this is why you make $200,000 a week. Like... Just little crap like that is just so damn insightful, and it's inclusive, too. They include members of the staff, like the kit guy. Um, he he is just a friend to these players, and they come and they drink afterward and just kind of hang out, and, and um, I loved it. I really did. I loved, If I had a frustration in the first two episodes, it would be this. They really, really did 
gloss over uh, the the winning streak. Yeah, they did. I noticed that too. Um, and I, I wonder if part of it is just that, you know, repeating for, for the sake of their content, um, it, it would have gotten a bit repetitive, but at the same time, right. I think, you know, you can, you can, you don't have to show every halftime team talk to, uh, to really emphasize how ridiculous that was. Yeah. Um, but you know, they also wanted to, you know, there's some things that you kind of push aside because you understand that they are trying to tell a dramatic story and they do have to wring something out of it and with them constantly winning. Um, and it is why, you know, despite the fact that they only lost you know, like five games all season, there is kind of an outsized focus on those five games just because it, of how the dynamic changes when that happens. And it is something very different. And you do have to see how the team responds to something happening to them that doesn't that didn't happen often at all. Um, but, you know, I don't... It was... I, you and I both said that we had to watch it with subtitles because sometimes yes. we can get a bit garbled. <laughs> Dude, uh... But why don't you go ahead and, and tell the story that, that you that you told me off air? Because I it's worth noting that as Gray is telling me this, my my body is getting excited. That's the wrong phrase to use. Like No, it's not. Yeah, my body is getting excited because I'm like, I know he's gonna say subtitles. I know he's gonna fucking talk about them subtitles. And <laughs> then you came with the subtitles. See, I got way too excited and yeah. dropped an F bomb. Excuse me. That's okay. <laughs> Not, we're trying to make it suitable for we work. Tried, but we're very excited about this stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, 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 and I knew you were going to go there. So uh, uh, why don't you go ahead and tell the story? So for context, uh, my girlfriend and I watched, actually, we just, we, it came on, I told him, I talked to him on the phone yesterday to set up, you know, this recording. And I told him, I'm like, my, my dream, my optimistic dream that I'm not really banking on is that, um, you know, because it's releasing in the UK supposedly at midnight, which and we're five hours behind them. So it would have been seven o'clock my time on Eastern time. And I said, my dream is that it, they will, it will drop even in the United States right at seven. And I will just be able to binge the whole thing before I go to bed. And, you know, we both said, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. And it happened. <laughs> and I texted an idiot. I texted him immediately. I'm like, a dream, our dream came true. So, so I sit down and I, you know, I start watching it. And and then the series starts with um, Pep Guardiola giving the halftime team talk against Arsenal in the League Cup final at Wembley. Um, and so me and my girlfriend start watching it, and uh, we we get about thirty seconds in. There's this bit where he just sort of starts walking back and forth, and you you go here, and you you know, and I'm like, okay. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to rewind it to the beginning, and I'm going to turn <laughs> subtitles on this time, and we're going to watch this with subtitles. Larry, let me put it this way. You can understand Benjamin Mendy more when he was excited speaking in English than you could Pep Guardiola, and I think Benjamin Mendy has a much thicker accent. Yeah, and it doesn't surprise me because when Pep gets excited, Pep gets excited. Oh, <laughs> Does he ever? And, and sometimes I, you know, he. Ha I think that he doesn't even know what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. No, I. It's. <clears throat> I love seeing him interact. I think one of my favorite parts uh, was was in the game against Chelsea. Uh, it shows him talking specifically to De Bruyne 
uh, I believe, was it the Chelsea game? Uh, I think this was the Leicester match. Yeah, I think you're right. You're right. Uh, At halftime, he talked to you. I know what you're talking Talked to him and told him where he could find space. And and he says, I know you're going to score here. And sure enough, Kevin goes out, finds that space outside the box, and just cranks a belter for a goal. Um, And and then you have uh, the set-piece deal where he talks about, all right, guys, look, man, United leave it open here and here and and this is how we're going to take advantage of it and then both goals came off of set pieces it's a you know it's 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 stunning to see this man's mind work and it work like to borrow a phrase from todd Gurley, who's talking about sean mcveigh the youngest head coach in nfl history for the rams um, he was talking about <clears throat> him, uh, and, and Gurley says, man, there are times when he sends in a play, and you're like, are you serious? Like, you want us to run this? And then we do, and it works. Like, the guy knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying. He can see things that others can't, and it's just... I, I, I think that just very much applies to Pep. He just sees things. He's just trained to see things. And and being a former midfield guy, I think that that type of vision, along with the responsibility of, of being uh, uh, in charge of a large amount of space, um, I, I, I think it's only paid dividends if, you know, I don't... Pep is just he's he's truly gifted. He's truly gifted. Whether you whether you hate City, love City, don't care about City, to watch this guy work as a coach is is thoroughly impressive. And and I I could just sit there and listen to the guy, you know, attack game after game talking about all right, you're going to do this and this. I'm curious how we saw just two things that, that turned into goals that Pep saw. I wonder how many more of those there were, where he's like, look, yeah. go to this and you're going to crank one in. We don't even see. And, you know, without spoiling, there are other moments in, in the rest of the series where, you know, him or his staff points out something and it turns out to be quite prescient. So, um, you know, and I think that the series does a really fantastic job of emphasizing the importance of his staff. Um, because you, know, you talk about the United game and the set pieces that were so heavily emphasized, and they give credit to uh, Dominic Torrent, who was who is now actually the head coach at NYCFC, but was Pep's number two, had been since he was at Barca B. Um, and he said Dominic Torrent was the one who noticed that Man United was doing yep, that. Yep, that was that, and they point that out very clearly, and they point out. You know, both in the episodes that we're talking about here, and you know, there's various examples over the course of the series, how important his staff is, and the dynamic and the closeness of the of the backroom staff, and how vital they are to making everything happen. Um, you know, you see, you see, you see these guys very heavily involved, um, and 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 you see, you know, Torrance in charge of the set pieces, and he's 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 giving them these hints, and lo and behold, they go and score twice from set pieces, and it's not a coincidence. They prepare the they put so much emphasis on these things. They look for every little advantage they can find, and they hammer away at it, and they often exploit it. And you see it was the difference in the derby that they won last year. So, um, you know, 
they do a really good job emphasizing, uh, and it's it's in line with what you alluded to, is that um, there's clearly a, a closeness among the backroom staff, and not just the coaches, the, you know, the kit man, the, Brandon Ashton that you mentioned, going into the cryogenic chamber. Cause oh my goodness, man. Dude. I saw him go in there, and then the guy's like, yeah, this is 100 and minus 130 degrees. Uh, and I'm like, nope, 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 nope. I'm out. <laughs> like, would you do that? No, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I'm just I, I would never. I Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, hard pass. Hard pass. Hard, yeah, it's going to be a hard no from me, too. Um, but you know what, man? That's that's the kind of loyalty. You know what? I will say this. I can see myself doing it, um, if because I'm the type of guy who could develop a bond with with you know a guy like Vinny like that. If I had been there for a long time and just developed that bond, and Vinny comes up one day and he's like, "You're going in with me," like I can see myself like forcing him to buy me the finest steak dinner I've ever had in my entire life as as a reward for going into that that thing but uh uh you know short short of having a a a very great friendship with some of these players there's no way in hell you could convince me to get into one of those machines oh yeah but there also seems to be a degree of like these guys will will are will do almost anything to loosen them up mm-hmm. um and 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 that's important. And and the series emphasizes very very early on, even with Mendy Hurt, how vitally important he was to the atmosphere. Like the the text that that, that Guardiola. That was beautiful, my, man. My, I didn't. My players, you know, they they weren't celebrating enough when they had a reason to celebrate. And Mendy texted him. He's like, "Don't you worry about the team, boss. I'll take care of it." And he did. Because you know, I noticed there was something I noticed all last year. It's like every time they scored a goal, the subs benches on the pitch celebrating. They're all going crazy. And I, you know, we didn't see that. You, you see it at, like, the World Cup, usually. It was, like, big things like that. But you don't often see it at club level, except for the most important goals. Um, but we saw it, like, constantly last year. Uh, and I took it as a sign of the, the team spirit. It was also good to see that, um, for the team, the Chelsea away result last year was every bit as vitally important as those of us on the outside thought it was. Yeah. Um, in that it made the team believe they could win. And that becomes, it's a kind of a recurring theme in the series, is that, you know, you do everything right, but it's vital to have that belief. Because when you believe that you're the best team and you believe that you should be winning every game, then these things follow you. And that, that mentality is hard to get. And But, you know, he mentioned after the Chelsea game, it's like, now we believe we can win. We can win the league. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting to see, you know, you... There's that stereotype of, like, the managers in the press are like, oh, we're not going to, you know, it's November, we're not going to talk about the Premier League. Um, you know, but Guardiola constantly emphasizes these things in private. The things that you wouldn't really think if you're a manager, you're like, no, you want to treat, you know, treat every match the same, don't get too ahead of yourself. Yeah, no, he doesn't give, he doesn't give a damn. He said, you know, after the United game, he says, you are the only ones now, I think it's after, I hope I'm not spoiling anything, um... But he says you're the only ones now who can who can lose. Yeah, the only yeah the only city can 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 lose can, the Premier League. Yeah, and he says that in December after the Derby. Mm-hmm. And it's like you know normally the stereotype is coaches are going to avoid that. No, 
he's he, all along he's saying, look, you're going to win the league, guys. You know, even in December, you're the only way we can lose the league is if you lose it. No one can actually fight back and take it from us. And he wasn't wrong, but it's still that nope. sort of thing you would expect, you know, because you see him in the press, and obviously he's totally different in front of the press. He's like, no, we keep going, you know. There are many he was so nonchalant yeah. about the records. He's like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, the records are for you guys. Yeah. And then it cut to him in the locker room, and, and this is him verbatim, so I apologize for another F-bomb. You see him come in, he's like, I want all the fucking records. And you oh, put yeah. okay, so Pep is who we thought he was. Yeah. Visit me. These little insights are confirmation mm-hmm. to, to what we think we uh, uh, know about these players, these coaches, and the relationships that they have. And, and, and storytelling like that is just so good. It's phenomenal. I, it, this has made me interested in watching the All Blacks version when I'm done. Yeah, I mean, it made me like... It makes you, like, the inner workings of a football club are fascinating to me, and they always have been, but even more so after seeing some of them actually now. And again, not to spoil it, but you do see, like, even real, real in-depth, like, at board levels, the inner workings of the football club across, over the course of the series. And that's me was... honest admissions from those board members about mm-hmm. expectations and results. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when when the January, again, I'm not, you know, it's I'm not going to say anything that will give anything away from you, but they're incredibly candid about the January transfer window on camera and, and, and you know, what, what could have happened there and what nearly happened, what tried to happen, you know, everything that they were looking at. Every, it's, if for a documentary like this to work, everyone involved in it has to be sort of, you know, willing to buy in. You, you can't just, you know, go on camera and give platitudes. You have to be honest because these people are watching your every move. And if you're not being honest, they're going to see right through it. Because um, you're, con- you're, you're being recorded. All these team talks, all these training sessions, everything that's going on behind the scenes. People will be able to spot a fake from a mile away. So for a documentary like this to be as good as it can be, the subjects all need to buy in. And that happened here. They... You know, they did a very good job ignoring the camera. Then when they were placed in front of the camera, they're very candid about everything. Um, And there's probably comes from a level of comfort from having these guys around all year. But they do buy in and it makes for a great, great viewing because if if they're not buying in, then this isn't very good. I want to ask one thing here. And, And maybe it's the American in me. But if you were to get something like this, you usually get a lot of boilerplate responses from coaches. Yeah. And I was floored to see, I mean, even up to Caldoun, you know, saying like, look, no, I mean, that, that was, that was crap. That shouldn't have happened. Like plain and simple. Shouldn't have happened. You know, uh, that's not why we brought him here. Like, that's not what we were hoping to achieve. And you're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was very We all know it's true, but right. it's just you you expect them to give you a line instead of be like, no, 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 that shit's true. Yeah. And we've talked about coach speak on this show before. We both mm-hmm. know how to define yeah. it. We both know when someone's just saying something to give an answer and be done with it. And they don't really do that here. Um, and, and, you know, that was another part that I really liked is Caldoun saying, yeah, last season was really hard on him. 
Um, and he was not happy a lot of the time. And he did, you know, you see all these admissions, like, well, it's He brought up how much of a challenge it was yeah. for him mentally and physically, and I thought that was just... I, it's like good man you 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 hear that pep struggle that it it, it, it humanizes that the man is a human yeah, exactly it really humanizes they do a great job humanizing every single player and i know that you even in the first two episodes they kind of like lead into like these little individual profiles of each player <laughs> and i'll tell you right now they do that for every player over the course of the series in all eight episodes over the course of the series and it really humanizes them and it really you know i saw a lot of people thinking it, I, I, I love devilfish, babes. Call me babes. Yeah. And it's like people are like, look, I mean, it's not that like I saw them as like just like, you know, creatures or whatever. But, you know, it's so much easier to look at them as people now. Mm. Just like these these human beings who have the same stresses and the same hopes and doubts and fears as everybody else does. It's just like they're very different hopes and fears and doubts. But at the core, they're... You're they, they, for Aguero when Aguero yeah. said, I almost asked to be taken off because it was so cold. I'm yeah. like, okay. Yeah. That Aguero bit in episode two was something. Yeah, it was. It's just that part where he's like, you know, I, I'm alone most of the time. He's <laughs> like, oh my God, I feel so he's, bad for him. I know, I felt so bad for him. And it's like, you know, you, you especially in context of all, the, you know, the last two seasons where sometimes he's been at odds and you're like, gosh, he's put up with a lot. He's put up with a lot of stuff. Some of it his own doing, some of it not. You know, it's his own doing being, oh, he's just not seeing eye to eye with the manager or whatever. It's not that big a deal. But, you know, so he's put up with, you know, because he lives alone. He gets his son once a month. Um, and and he hangs out with Otamendi and David De Gea. David De Gea. Because they're friends from Atletico. And it's like, I I kind of feel bad for him. <laughs> You know, I don't. I, I hope he's you know content or whatever. But you know, geez, I was just like, okay, um, yeah, that was that was something. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember what else because I watch, when you watch all eight episodes, everything just runs way together so much. So I, I'm I'm kind of being cautious about like saying specific things unless I know for. Oh, oh, we get a full. We get a massive like, dude. This is practically a commercial for Doctor Kugat. Oh yeah, like uh, the the unsung hero of the. <laughs> you see De Bruyne going to see Doctor Kugat, and it's like, okay, we're good. <laughs> yeah, the minute they show somebody going into like this, you know, he was flown to Barcelona, and me and Trevor are sitting there watching it, and I'm like, to meet Doctor Ramon Kugat, and then the guy's like, Doctor Ramon Kugat, and Trevor's just like looking at me like, you know, the doctor. And I'm like, well, this is a little bit different than than how you're thinking about it. Like, this, this is a, no ordinary doctor. Yeah, this is this is like the guy who performs Tommy John surgery, you know? <coughs> doctor, uh, can, can, we keep, can, can we keep Doctor Kugat after Pep leaves? <laughs> yeah. Please. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, and I knew, I knew even before because I did read like the articles from the Premier League. I knew before going in before I watched it that um, they were going to show Mendy finding out that he was basically going to be out for the season. Um, and, you you know, it's a, it's a strange thing to watch. Um, did they get the Stones going to Dr. Who got? Yes. Yes. So they found out, he found out too. He's yeah. literally got his balls frozen. Yes. Yes. 
Which was no doubt one of the funniest moments of the entire series. Because the nurse is like laughing and like, yeah. hey, got your balls. <laughs> and, and how the doc and how the uh, the assistant asks about Mendy, like, how is the crazy man doing? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's like, one day Mendy came in and we come in here. We're like, where's Mendy? And he's walking around with the nurses like, hi, I'm Benjamin Mendy. Nice to meet you. How can I help you today? I was just yeah. like, yeah, yeah, I can see Mendy doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just I I loved that that stuff. You know, I I'm scared of needles, so I was like, tell me when it's over. But at the same time, it was like this is so so cool to watch because um, you know it's just like it's such an intensely personal moment for these guys. And it's like imagine being told that you're not going to be able to contribute from face really was yeah. hard because it was, it was hard to watch. He's so upbeat all he's the so, time. He's so enthusiastic, so upbeat. He's at a new club. He's so excited to get going. And, you know, it's like game three or four. The yeah. to, was last week. Like, he's already piling on assists and making it difficult for people to <clears> – <throat> because he's so physical. Um, and, and he just gets told that news, and it's like a, a Mack truck hitting a, a wall. You know, like a concrete bunker, and just the look on his face is so deflating. Uh, at least it was for me because I'm like, I, you know how happy this guy is. Mm -hmm. and, and you think just, of it from from their perspective, it's like immediately in front of them the amount of work that is going to be put in front of them just to get back to where they were, um, and or where he was, you know, before he got hurt. The amount of ther physical therapy, the amount of, you know. The, everything that you have to do to come back from injury like that, it's not just, you know, you don't just, you know, sit in bed for a few months and then you, eventually you're better. you got to do so much work to get yourself fit and able to play at that level again because, you know, they, they are playing at an exceptionally high level that most human beings aren't physically capable of. So, and, you know, in that moment, you know, you wonder what goes through his mind, everything that sinks in. It's like, oh, the effort, the work this is going to take, the, the fact that I won't be able to contribute for so long... It's such a moment, and the look on his face—it is hard to watch. Um, and but I'm glad it was in there because you know it gives. It's it's a guy who puts forward such an incredible you know you know I'm not saying it's an act at all. That's Mendy is who he is. Everything you've seen from Benjamin Mendy is very much Benjamin Mendy. He's not putting on a show for cameras or anything like that. It's just who he is. But you see that taken away from him for a moment. You see this other side of him um, where he, you know, want, probably one of the most, worst moments of his professional career, to be blunt, to find out that that's happened and that he's going to miss that much time. And it really puts into perspective, like, what his personality is really like because it's hard to come back from that mentally as well as physically. You have to be in the right mindset, and you have to find a way to stay upbeat. And I guess if anyone's prepared to do that, it's him. But you you see that that expression on his face, and it really puts into context just how kind of amazing it was for him to be to be what he was. Not you know I don't want to call him a mascot. He's not a mascot, but he was such an important part even when he wasn't playing because that demeanor that he so naturally has. It's just. What an incredible guy, you know? It's just like, that's the guy that you want to hang out with. <laughs>
that's the guy you're like, dude, uh, make sure uh, if you're coming to the party that you bring your friend Ben Mendy. That guy is a riot, you know? <laughs> um, I, I was, like you said, I was so deflated for him. But then you see his spirit and the way that he's going to come back and the, and the way that he talks to Guardiola. It's, also it's such, an incredible, such an incredible example for his teammates, too. Yes, yeah. And, and the best part is, is it wasn't just that he set the example, it was that people noticed it. Yeah, absolutely. That's what kind of a team this is now. It's not just about personal accol- accolades, even though Guardiola wants all of that. He wants it all for him. He wants it all for the players. He wants them to experience this stuff. You know, <clears throat> Guardiola is probably the most selfishly unselfish coach in in the entire world. Um, Maybe short of Greg Popovich. (laughs) But uh, there's a team that I would love to have a fly on the wall documentary about. Oh yeah, I'd love to watch Popovich work for a season. Um, yeah, I I I truthfully would. Uh, Him or Steve Kerr, to be honest, both of those guys. Really I wonder. I wonder how much money the Warriors have been offered to make a documentary like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, all you can take out of it is that would definitely be a good way to profile, put up a put up a profile for your team. But yeah, it's invasive for sure. Um, it but, is. But that's another thing I thought about. Is like, think of the people who are going. This is going to be such an incredible advert for the for the club. And anyone watching this is like, gee, that that seems like a really, you know, I think people are sitting here worried about, like, oh, they're going to give away too many secrets. Guardiola's had two books written about him by Paranow that have already given levels of access even beyond, frankly, what was shown in this documentary. You can't just, like, watch Guardiola work and then just like, oh, that's easy to emulate. You know, there's so much more going on there than tactics. Everyone knows what he's going to try to do to you. It's not a secret. There's video. These guys are watching video every match. Right. Um, it's it's not, like going up against a Chip Kelly team. Like, it's your bad if you don't know what's coming. You know? <clears throat> yeah. So. I mean, I just, I don't know what else to say other than I think this is going to be great for the club. I think it's, yeah. I honestly think that this is going to be a boon for the club. It's going to boost their, you know, there are going to be people who see this. And and uh, don't follow Man City that are going to watch this and, and follow it and come away with a good impression of them. And, and I'm this may even make a, a fan or two. You know, people oh, yeah. are people all over America. I can't count the number of times I see someone on my timeline. And I'm not saying it happens super regularly, but it happens often enough where somebody on my timeline is like, hey, uh, what what I, I'm going to start watching more soccer. Like what team should I root for? And I'm like, Hey, look. now I have something where I can be like, Hey, look, you don't have to take my word for it. Go watch this on Manchester city. Yeah. And I don't expect this to, to change the negative perception of city that exists in some circles in nope. the football world. But I do think, um, that some people who don't have that strong an opinion, but are interested in football, are going to watch this and come away with a good impression of Manchester city. And that's great. That's that's cool stuff, um, and and I think that I I you know these are savvy marketing guys that run this club as is made clear yeah. over the course of the documentary they they know what they're doing, they knew going into this that if done right this could be a really the real boon for the club and it has been done right and I think that it is going to be a huge net positive for the club, 
Um, it's going to make the fans feel even closer to the team. It's going to make people who follow football but don't really follow City that closely, I think some of them will watch it and be like, you know, these, yeah, these are pretty good guys, and it's fascinating to see them work. And there are going to be got people who don't, you know, who are trying to get into football who are going to watch this documentary and it might be like, you know, gee, that's my team now. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I feel, you know, you see these guys and, and you do develop... I mean, it's a it's a TV bond. It's an attachment, you, though. You do develop that it's this level of attachment to them beyond what they do on the field, um, and and that doesn't happen every day. <laughs> you know, here's a here's a good example of this. I don't know if you um, have watched on Netflix uh, a, a their their original series, Churchill's Secret Agents. I have not. Okay, it's a phenomenal bit of television. It's it's. A reality show that ditches the any portion of the reality. Like when people are eliminated, there's no damn ceremony. It's like, hey, you're cut. Hey, you're cut. <laughs> um, the, the the extent of the on camera thing is people talking about their past uh, as it relates to the show or what their you know what their worries or or fears are. Uh, but <clears throat> it basically is is a, a little competition of sorts. Uh, for people to undergo uh, the training that the secret agents who were used in World War II to uh, to to turn the the tide by using just straight out guerrilla tactics, it was basically the precursor. Actually, it wasn't basically. It is the precursor to the CIA, NSA. In that, um, it, it started in in. Uh, Britain, but then they opened a branch in America uh, <clears throat> that was the, that was the literal precursor to the CIA, um, and uh, Britain not only trained them uh, how how to do it and how to operate on their own, but they fed people into them so that they had bodies of, of <clears throat> people to do this as well. But it it follows people trying to go through this uh, these the same tasks that these secret agents had to do to get out of this camp um, and, and then basically be dropped by themselves in in war, war-torn sections of Europe during World War II um, with, with basic strict orders of, of what they needed to destroy or sabotage or whatever the case may be. And uh, over the course of it, you really gain an attachment to some of these people because they have family members who were murdered by Nazis uh, or by Stalin um, for for being part of the resistance and, and helping people flee or helping Jews flee and it's it's super hard not to develop an attachment to these people who are not only trying to go through it to understand what what their ancestors went through but are also bearing their soul out there for the world to see on these immensely private things. Like at the end of the show, uh, the one of the people who succeeds reads a letter from her like great, 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 great aunt or grandma or whatever that she sent on the literal day of her execution. And she read it aloud and it just, I mean, like I, it was dusty in my room is, is what I'm going to say, man. Like it was, it, 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 it was powerful. And I think that the, not trying to, you know, piggyback off the Holocaust on, onto Manchester city, but, but the, 
the, the the emotion that I feel watching these players and and these coaches and uh, these kit men, um, it's it's very similar, man. I I, <clears throat> I want to see them succeed. Some of these people, like I had no idea, meant uh, Otamendi's voice would be as low as it was. Yeah, a lot of those guys they don't really speak publicly because their English isn't good or whatever reason. You know, they're not comfortable with it. But you get a look at some of these guys who are less outgoing than some of their teammates. Yeah, it's it's terribly funny. You know, Aguero's not known for being you know particularly open. I mean, he's, he'll talk, but he's you know it's he doesn't really dig deep, and his English isn't good. Um, he he's he's one of those guys who 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 speaks in. I, I guess broken Spanglish. Well, not, not even broken Spanglish, but he kind of speaks in platitudes, you know. Yeah. Um, you, you know, just kind of says what you know what he thinks people or not he thinks people want to hear, but he just sort of says you know the right answer and then moves on. He's 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 not really one of those guys who's going to give you a juicy press quote unless he really has something to say. Um, so you know, getting into his head a little bit, especially what, with what he's meant to the club. Um, I, that 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 was a, a good part for me. Um, I don't know what else to add other than I cannot recommend this. Yeah, more. if you're a Manchester City fan and you're Even not, if you're not honestly, if you just like football, I genuinely think that you will enjoy. You know what I'm gonna do? I am I am going to get these. I'm going to get my buddy to burn these on, or not to burn them, but to uh, digitize them and send them to me. So that I have a digital copy of each episode. Yeah, I, I hope they do something that will allow me to do that as well. Um, game catch. Game catch. Yeah, I'm sure that you know something will pop up somewhere. Um, but well, yeah, it's gonna it pop was... up. It's gonna pop up because I'm gonna have my buddy do it, and I'll just <laughs> yeah. pop. But speaking, speaking in the interest of but... legal things. You know, not that I'm saying anything like that. Oh, yeah, I can't share it. This is for personal this use. This is for personal use. Personal Speaking use. Speaking in the interest of someone who's using completely legal means to watch everything in his life, I would love it if there was a DVD release. Um, yeah, I, I also would very much like a Blu-ray release of this. Um, yeah, what am I talking about? DVDs high from 2008. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, you go ahead and watch that DVD. I'm going to get the Blu-ray. Coming to you live from 2010. No, seriously, I I am actually going to look in and, and see if Amazon has released this via Blu-ray, because I very much... Uh, I don't have any plans to. That would be cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm not getting rid of Prime anytime soon. I use yeah, it me either. way too often um, to, to 86 it. So... Yeah, I I <laughs> I can't recommend the show enough. Um, you know, if 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 you haven't seen it, um, get at Gray and I. Like, if you know, maybe maybe we can loan you our our Amazon uh, for the day or something. Um, just you know, if, uh, <laughs> if people want, I believe um, is our point. Yeah, absolutely. And I believe that you can uh, sign up for uh, a free trial for a month, um, and they will not charge you until that month is up. So if you, that's that's another option if anyone wants to watch it but does not have Prime. That's the best way to go. If you're still struggling after that, get after Gray and I. And uh, we'll, te- we'll give you a, a verbal recap of each episode. Yeah. 
I'm going to have to watch it again, because like I said, I watched all eight episodes in one sitting, and it just all blends. It's why I don't normally binge watch things, <laughs> because I, I feel like I lose half of them when I'm watching watching it, and it's just like, oh, what did I watch? So yeah, I'm, I'm inevitably going to have to watch all eight of them again, which I'm totally fine with. <laughs> I understand. I totally understand. Anyway... I'm- I'm excited to finish it as soon yeah. as I get ne- Our next podcast is going to be us geeking about the last six episodes, so just be ready for that now. Mm-hmm. Um, In addition to some recap. From the yeah, so the Huddersfield game was great. Let's talk about the rest of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's how it's going to be. So, um, wrapping this up, um, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, this, is, this has turned out to be a really long one by our standards, but we had a lot that we wanted to get to. Um, cool. Uh, so thanks for listening I'm not going to split this up into two you can just enjoy it all in one so um, we'll be back after the Huddersfield game for a recap of that we will talk to you about how that went and we will of course recap the rest of All or Nothing um, and, and, and talk about what we witnessed there I've already told him two things to watch for um, that really stuck out to me over the, over the last few episodes so we'll definitely be talking about those things um so, for Josh, I'm Gray. Uh, thanks for listening. You can find us on iTunes at America. You just search American Citizens. You can find us on Twitter at America Citizens. We are sponsored as ever by Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the weekend's games, everybody. Actually, we 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 are going to be moving to Spreaker, which are is we? yeah, yes. Blog Talk is. I think they merged. This is um, news to me. I'm glad you told me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I meant to tell you this. I I told Scott, and I I knew I had this nagging feeling. I was forgetting to tell somebody something. Yes, uh, I received a an email from Amy letting me know that uh, once it was all said and done, she'd be putting us on Spreaker. Um, so I'm very very excited about that. Scott seems very excited about it as well. When I talk to him, and given your reaction, I am guessing you are very much looking forward to that as well, or have heard good things about Spreaker. Fine by me. So, um, yeah, man, um, I can't wait to geek out on the next six episodes. Uh, next time, uh, well, there will be a recap of Huddersfield. We'll try and get some questions from you guys. Uh, we are taking questions again. Yeah, we got the one in today. We will answer your stuff on the air. I know we haven't done that in ages, so some of you may have wanted us to to actually follow through on that before you submit your questions. We got it. We are paying attention now, and we will be taking your questions about all things City going forward. So be sure to, uh, to keep up on that. We will be sure to ask after the Huddersfield game before we record next. So... Um, for Josh, I'm Gray. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody. We'll talk to you again soon.